Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey guys, Mario Lopez here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit biotoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Oh, hey there. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk About Myths, baby. This is, of course, the podcast where I live, crazy person and lover of ancient Greece and all its madness, tell you stories of ancient Greek mythology. Of course, this is also the podcast where a geek swears a lot and tells you how awful Zeus was. This week, guys, we're continuing on with the whole October Halloween thing. Because, you know, it's a good month for themes. And this week, we delve into a story of monsters, murder, and magic. This is episode 13. Jason, Medea, and the motherfucking Argonauts. Our story today begins in Thessaly, a region on the Greek mainland. Two brothers are our concern... Peleus and Aeson. Peleus was a dick. Let's just get that right out of the way. He was a giant asshole. He was really the half-brother of Aeson. They shared a mother, but Peleus' father was Poseidon. Poseidon was the asshole of the sea, if you will. Now, Peleus overthrew his brother, who was the rightful king of the town Aeolcus, the city in Thessaly, where they were from, so not a town, it's a city. A city-state, probably, though this is ancient, maybe not. Now, not only did he overthrow Aeson, but he went on to kill all of his children. Like I said, he was a dick, like his father. But why did he do this? Well, why do you fucking think? Because a goddamn oracle said something stupid one time, and Peleus takes it to a very troubling place. See, an oracle had told Peleus that he would be overthrown by a child of Aeson. 
So, obviously, Peleus was all, kill them all! And he did. Except, Alcamede, the wife of Aeson, and a smart lady, played a trick on Peleus when their next son was born. She had women cluster around the baby just after he was born, and they wailed and wailed, acting like he was a stillborn. This baby was Jason. So Peleus assumes the job had been done for him. I'm sure he smiled an eerie, evil little smile, and then he skipped off happily because he didn't have to kill this one. How lucky. But Jason wasn't dead. Now, of course, he couldn't live with his parents because the trick would become pretty clear pretty quickly, and Peleus would basically kill him the second he knew who he was. So Aeson and Alcmede smuggled Jason off to live with the centaur Chiron, because I guess centaurs are smart. I mean, Firenze certainly was. He was a great divination prof, am I right? For those who maybe haven't encountered any centaurs in their life, a centaur is a creature that is half a man and half a horse. But unlike the old minotaur, a centaur has the right halves to be a fairly productive member of society. Top half man, bottom half horse. So, you know, they could talk and teach kids things. They didn't go around eating everyone. And also, no, I don't think there were female versions, which is why I say man and not person. I want to believe there were. I should look into that. One day I'll tell you the story of how centaurs came to be, because my god, is it crazy. Just, I mean, I don't want to give anything away, but it's pretty weird. So Jason grows up with Chiron, learning and getting all smart. But meanwhile, not only did Peleus think he was going to be killed by a child of Aeson, he also learned that he should... Yes, and this is real. Beware of the man with one sandal. This is, of course, one of the Oracle's more ridiculous prophecies, at least when it comes to the framing of the statement. It's hard to be afraid of someone you know will show up with only one shoe. Many years later, when Jason was grown, Peleus was holding games in the city of Iolcus in honor of the god, his father, Poseidon. Now, when I say games here, we're thinking Olympic-style games, but before the first Olympics. Which, just for your reference and to prove myself in a nerd court, the first Olympics took place in 776 BCE. And yes, I googled to make sure I was right before I said that, but I came up with it pre-Google. Anyway, Peleus is holding these games, and Jason comes to town to compete. He's a spry, strong young man, and he wants to show that he's impressive. And of course, that is done by some sort of show of strength or agility. I show I'm impressive by remembering what year the first ancient Olympic Games were. Some do it by being strong and agile. But en route to these games, Jason comes across a woman trying to cross the river Anaris. Weirdly enough, this woman is Hera in disguise. I'm not sure why, but you know, sometimes the gods just head down to Earth to disguise themselves as mortals and maybe just to test humans to see if they're good people or not. This certainly seems like what was happening here. And guess what? Jason passed the test. She blessed him for helping her because he brought her across the river. But guess what, guys? That's right. While helping Hera disguised as old lady cross the river, he lost one of his sandals. The Oracle is always right. Just don't go talk to them, because shit will always get fucked up. Now, one thing to be clear on here. 
Jason knows who he is. He was raised by a centaur, sure, but no one tried to convince him that that half-horse, half-man that raised him was his father. No, Jason knew he was the rightful king to Iolcus, and that was the real reason for his attending the games. It wasn't all about showing off. So he rolls up all missing one sandal, but otherwise triumphant, and he's announced to Peleus as the man wearing one sandal. Because, you know, that's worthy of an announcement. Hear ye, hear ye. Presenting Jason, the man who lost a shoe. I don't think the Greek said hear ye, hear ye, but it came to me in the moment. Peleus is, of course, terrified. He knows what this means. He remembers the oracle. And Jason immediately calls him out, saying, Hey, dude, I know who you are. I know that I'm actually the rightful king of Iolcus, so fuck off and give me the kingdom back. At least, I imagine that's how he said it. I like to think Jason had a potty mouth like myself. Peleus was no dummy, though. Just an asshole. He knew he couldn't beat Jason himself, but he also knew that Jason was a young, hotshot hero. So he said, Sure, you can have the kingdom back. You just have to go on a quest to find the Golden Fleece. So last week, on the episode of Cupid and Psyche, when I said that was not the myth of the Golden Fleece, that's because this is the myth of the Golden Fleece. You see what I did there? So of course, Jason accepts for... Exactly the reasons that Peleus assumed he would accept. Young, hotshot hero, etc., etc. For this quest, Jason needed a ship. He called on Athena, goddess of craft. Because I guess you could just do that, even though he wasn't a deity. But as I mentioned before, Athena, while female, is not an ally. She sides with men, always, and always wants to help them, and always wants to help them get women in trouble, and I can't think of a single story where she helps a female. Anyway, Athena is happy to help Jason because of the aforementioned penis, and so she has the artisan, Argus, create a ship. The ship is then called the Argo, which means swift, and is somehow unrelated to the fact that the craftsman's name was Argus. But... Athena herself crafts the prow of the ship. She makes it out of living oak from Zeus's oracle at Dodona, and she sprinkles some godly magic on it so that it can talk. I imagine it's carved into some sort of being, you know, like the mermaids on the bow of a ship. But it can talk! The bow is the front, right? Now Jason has his ship, the Argo, and he needs a team. He puts together a group of heroes. There are lots of heroes in ancient Greece. That's kind of their thing. And this is just the quest they've been waiting for. Between that and Hera, who is now a friend of Jason because of that saving earlier, and her encouragement to some local heroes, he quickly finds 50 people to help. See what I did there? I said 50 people. Do you want to know why? There was a woman with them. God, I'm just so excited I can hardly contain myself. I mean, there was only one, but still there was a woman! I say we need an all-female movie about the Argonauts. Get on that, Hollywood. Just don't let you-know-who anywhere near it. Ugh. So, on top of the woman, there were a number of others, and I'll tell you about them, but the point is, the heroes that join Jason on his quest are called the Argonauts. And there are a few familiar names in the lineup. First off, 
And most importantly from where I stand is the female. The heroine. That's right. She was a heroine. Female. Atalanta. She joined the team. And fine. Does she have any particular role in the upcoming story? No. But she was there. On the ship. As a hero. And female. Absolutely. Then there were the Boreids, sons of Boreas, the North Wind, and they could fly. Meleager, who just had a cool name. Peleus, and that's Peleus, not Peleus. That sounds the same when I say it. One is spelled E-U-S. That's the good one I'm talking about and the hero on the ship. And one is spelled I-A-S, and he's the bad one, who's the bad guy in the story. I don't know why they had to be in the same story. It seems troubling. Anyway, a bit confusing, but Peleus, the good one, would go on to become father to a certain famous fellow with a bum ankle. There was also Heracles, famous for being called by his Roman name, even when referring to Greek mythology, and also for singing that little ditty, Zero to Hero. Zero to Hero. I can't even snap. This is not going well. There was Idas, a rival to Heracles, and a man famous for fighting Apollo over the right to fuck a woman named Marpessa, because that's totally normal and not at all fucking awful. There was Philoctetes, famous in my books for being the same name as the trainer of Hercules. I don't know if it's supposed to be the same guy, but I like it. You know, they sang together, the aforementioned Zero to Hero. I'm going to stop that now. There were Castor and Pollux, famous for being brothers to Helen of Troy, and as I mentioned way back, also for being names used in the Hunger Games books, but that don't connect to their mythological characters in any substantial way, which has always bothered me because I am weird. And there was Orpheus, famous for being a musical man, and who will get his own story very soon. He had a little tumble in the underworld, that's to come. So that's the team. I mean, basically Avengers. Only, you know. Actually, no. It's the same number of women as the first Avengers. Life. I mean, there were more that I'm not going to name and whose names I can't even find. But these are the guys that matter. Like I said, there were 50. And that's not 50. But it is the ones that matter. And they set sail. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey guys, Mario Lopez here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit 
BioToyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Their first stop was on the island of Lemnos, off the coast of Turkey. This was an island inhabited only by women, which sounds like it could be some kind of feminist statement by the people of ancient Greece, but guess what? It wasn't. The island of Lemnos was inhabited only by women because a while back, there were indeed men. All these women had husbands, of course. But the women neglected their worship of Aphrodite, and I think the story of Cupid and Psyche taught us what a bad idea that is. And so the women were punished. Their punishment was that Aphrodite made them smell repulsive. That's right, she made them stink. And what happened when they stunk? Well, their men went and found concubines, because what an awesome group of men. And so when the smelly women found out about this, they killed all the men. So, you know, that's why there's an island full of only women. And that's why these myths were created by men. Because let me tell you, no woman is making another group of women smelly just because they stopped worshipping her. I mean, smelly? Why is that your thing? But upside of this is that when the Argonauts arrived on the island, these women were pretty psyched to see men, let alone hot, ripped hero men. And so the men stayed there for a whole damn year. I don't know what Atalanta was doing. And the women got everything they wanted out of the men, sexually, and lots and lots of kids were born. And it wasn't like they all made happy families. Finally, the men left and all was well, which I think is a rare happy ending to a particular story relating to women. Huzzah! So a year in, and the Argonauts are finally on their second stop, quests take up a fucking long time in ancient Greece. Just wait until we get to the Odyssey. It was, well, it was an Odyssey. Of course, this is a hero quest, so they encounter lots of crazy things along the way, but I have to skip some because, well, otherwise this would be really long and such is life. Along the way, though, they lost Heracles. See, he was super strong, so strong that at one point he broke an oar just from, you know, rowing. They stopped on an island to get a small tree to use as an oar, which I'm not totally convinced would work. But as I've said before, what do I know? I don't know boats. Anyway, Hylas, another of the Argonauts that I didn't mention earlier, well done me, and a servant or lover or something to Heracles, someone he loved, whether sexually or otherwise, ended up getting lost. He encountered a pool where he just kept looking closer and closer at the water because he couldn't see his reflection. But he got too close and was never seen again because he was pulled in by some water nymphs. Heracles then spent all his time looking for Hylas, and eventually the Argonauts just left without him. It's kind of a bummer. We will, of course, revisit what happened to Heracles after this in another episode. He's kind of famous, if you hadn't heard. Ryan Gosling played young Hercules in a TV show. Let's all take a moment to remember that. 
that and Breaker High. So the Argonauts are back on their way. And next came a consultation with a blind prophet, which you may notice is a theme in Greek mythology. This is not Tiresias, though. This is a man named Phineas. Eus, as an ending to a name, is also a theme. Phineas, though, was in bad shape. See, he was too good a seer. He's made Zeus angry, which is always good. So in Zeus's anger, he set harpies on Phineas. Now, harpies were, of course, female monsters. They had big black wings and faces of, quote, hags. So, good representations of women abound. The harpies basically spent all of their time tormenting Phineas. They would take his food just as he raised a bite to his mouth and basically just make his life a living hell. So he told the Argonauts that he would tell them what they needed to know so long as they drove the harpies off. Seems fair. They, of course, succeeded, and he told them all the hazards that still awaited them on their never-ending quest for this golden fleece. Somehow, this doesn't seem worth all this trouble. Phineas told them how to get through the Clashing Rocks. The Clashing Rocks were two rocks that basically squished every ship that tried to get through. The method to get past them included releasing a dove and seeing whether it was squished, which seems like a super humane way of doing things. Anyway, it worked, and they got through, and the dove wasn't squished. Point PETA. Finally, after even more adventures, they reached Colchis, the region where the Golden Fleece was to be found. The king of Colchis, Aetes, welcomed the group, but secretly he realized he was in trouble. See, there was yet another oracle prophecy to worry about. In this case, Aetes had been told that a man would come to take the Golden Fleece, and that that would bring an end to his reign. Immediately he knew that Jason was this troublemaker. Jason was super polite in asking Aetes for some of the Golden Fleece. He told him why they were there, that they were following the orders of Peleus, trying to complete the quest. He couldn't have been more friendly. Of course, Aetes saw this as a way of killing Jason, because it seems like Aetes is also a super nice dude. There's a lot of killing. He tells Jason that he can have some of the Golden Fleece as long as he completes two tasks. Seriously, Greek mythology is all about setting tasks for people in an effort to kill them. It's happened to Jason twice, to Theseus, to Perseus. Literally all the heroes had to deal with this bullshit. Anyway, Aetes set two tasks. The first one would probably kill Jason. And if it didn't, the second one definitely would. From there, Aetes would kill the rest of the Argonauts, and there you go. No ending his reign. Just, you know, lots of murder instead. Good king, I think. While all of this was going down, there was some nonsense a-brewing between Jason, Aphrodite, and Hera. See, ugh, Aphrodite and Hera had colluded and thrown together a super-duper powerful love charm because they had seen Aetes' daughter hanging around. This daughter was the famous Medea. So they give the love charm to Jason to give to Medea, which is always the best way to charm a woman. Force it. 
He gave Medea the little potion as one of the guest gifts that he brought her and her father when he arrives, and it worked hella quickly, because immediately Medea found herself truly madly deeply in love with Jason, and she didn't know why. She just knew she just met him, so why would she like him? But regardless of basically understanding that there was some bullshit going down, she was in it. She couldn't get out. It's fucking magic. It's ironic because, well, because of some things that will come soon with Medea. Anyway, she didn't want to see Jason die because of this magic forced love, which would prove tricky to Aetes' plan to facilitate Jason's death. Jason's first task to compete for Aetes was that he needed to plant a bunch of dragon teeth in the earth, Cadmus style. That's right, there is more than one myth where a hero has to plant teeth as if they're seeds. Always dragon teeth, too. It's weird shit. But not only that, see, the field where Jason was to plant said dragon teeth had to be plowed. But of course, it didn't have to be plowed by standard means. No, it had to be plowed by a collection of fire-breathing oxen with lethal bronze hoofs. And of course, they were wildly, terrifyingly aggressive. You know, normal farmer stuff. Or so I imagine. But Medea was forward-thinking, and very much under the spell. So she made a fancy-schmancy salve for Jason to put all over himself. It would protect him from fire and metal, lucky enough. Jason was pretty proud of his body, too, so after he stripped down naked and rubbed himself down with this salve, making himself all shiny, he didn't put any clothes back on to actually do the work. No, he decided to go out and plow that field with those deadly and angry oxen stark fucking naked. Have I mentioned toxic masculinity lately? So, of course, he succeeded with no trouble. Those Oxen bowed to his naked, shiny will, and everything went smoothly. He planted the dragon teeth, and just as had happened with Cadmus and his dragon teeth seeds, from where he planted the seeds sprung a whole collection of armed warriors, ready to go. They promptly attacked Jason, and this was not something that could be stopped by by, uh, Medea's fancy salve. So, of course, Jason was still a hero, and so he basically imitated Cadmus entirely and defeated these weird grown men from teeth. I can only assume they were kind of like zombies. Like they always seem pretty easy to defeat. Plus they exist from teeth planted in the ground. Not sure what kind of intelligence that creates. Anyway, Jason was fine and totally won that battle. The next task was simple enough. He just had to take the golden fleece. Unlike with Psyche, too, the Golden Fleece wasn't still attached to angry sheep. No, it was just hanging there. Where it was hanging, however, was guarded by quite the monster. It was fucking massive. Bigger than a warship, apparently, which is pretty fucking big. And it was angry and spittily and generally just gross. But of course Medea was there to help, thank god. He'd have been pretty fucked if he hadn't forced her to love him via magic. She gave him a potion that would put the monster to sleep, but there was a trick. He couldn't just give the monster the potion. No, it had to be taken deeply, Medea tells him. So what you actually have to do is let him eat you. 
So Jason did just that. He just stood there and let the thing eat him. It must have been pretty smelly in there. And slimy. I mean, gross. Anyway, the potion worked and the thing was falling asleep. And just before it did, it threw Jason up. There he was, all drippy and stinky. But he was out of the monster. So he grabs the golden fleece and he grabs Medea and they bolt. They run straight to the Argo where the rest of the Argonauts are there and they're waiting and they got the hell out of there. Now, here's the thing. What I don't know is what Medea was like before this magic took hold of her and made her obsessed with Jason. But what she's like after is not great. So as they run, Medea grabs her younger brother and brings him with them. He'll be kind of distraction when their father inevitably follows her trying to get back the fleece and, you know, his children. And he does. He sets sail in pursuit of the ship. And Medea thinks up a great way of distracting her father. She takes her brother, kills him, cuts him up into small pieces, and then she throws each piece off the side of the ship. She knows her father is less disturbed than she has become, and that he'll want to give his son a proper burial. And a proper burial means he needs all the pieces. So he's super distracted from the chase because he has to stop repeatedly to pick up the small pieces of his son that he sees floating by in the ocean. Like I said, Medea post-love potion is a super great lady. The other thing about Medea is that she's got some pretty impressive magical powers. She's a badass sorceress, which is actually pretty rare for ancient Greek mythology. Offhand, I can name two, and Medea is the most famous by far. They encounter quite a bit of trouble on their way back to Iolcus to claim the throne from Peleus. Along the way, there are gods that try to get in their way, storms and angry monsters, just lots. In one instance, Medea uses her magic to get themselves out of quite the pickle on the island of Crete. I repeat again that they would all be totally fucked without Medea. Finally, they near the city of Iolcus. Now, Jason is no dummy, as I've said before. He realizes that when they get back, it is super unlikely that Peleus is just going to hand over the kingship when Jason rolls up with the Golden Fleece. So they come up with a plan. They hide the ship out of sight, and Medea alone goes on land. She disguises herself like a priestess of Artemis, and she goes to see Peleus' daughters. She befriends them easily. She befriends them easily, and they tell her that they're super concerned because their father's getting old. They wish he would get younger so that he doesn't die. Medea tells them, you know, I can totally fix that. She goes searching for a collection of herbs that she needs in order to sort this out for Peleus' daughters, because, again, she's a badass sorceress. Finally, she puts everything together, and she puts on a little show for the daughters. She gets an old ram, and in front of the daughters, she slits its throat and then cuts it up into little pieces. She likes cutting living things up into little pieces. She places everything in a giant cauldron, because she's a legit witch, and all double double toil and treble and she makes what is basically a stew out of these gross and bloody bits and the herbs she found i mean it sounds like a stew anyway she stirs it all up very deliberately and after a while of it bubbling and stewing up the daughters hear a sound coming from inside Medea pulls out a fresh baby lamb the daughters are thrilled 
This chick is actually magic. Look what she did. She can totally make our dad young. They're totally convinced of Medea's powers, and they're so excited for her to do the same for their father. So the next day, they go to see their father, and they convince him to go see Medea with them. And as soon as they're there, the daughters take hold of their father. They slit his throat, and then they cut him up into tiny bits, tossing the gross and bloody bits into the cauldron with a spring in their step. They're really very psyched about this. I don't know if Medea was that convincing, or if the daughters are that crazy, but there you have it. They do everything they'd seen Medea do the night before. Everything that had worked so brilliantly to change that old ram into an adorable baby lamb. But... Sneaky, sneaky. In the night, Medea had switched out the magical elixir that she had made the stew out of, and she switched it for plain old soup. So really, the daughters actually made a stew out of their father. A very real, non-magical father stew. Needless to say, this didn't go over very well. Sure, Jason had returned, and now Peleus was no more. But see, in ancient Greece, killing your family was a big fucking deal. You could kill basically anyone else and get away with it, at least in many circumstances, but not family. No siree. And so because Jason basically told Medea to do it, they were exiled from Iolcus. And next week, Medea gets her own story and continues to be totally crazy and magic and badass and terrifying and violent. Next week is Medea, um, mythological but famous again for Euripides' play by that name. She's a badass bee, and, uh, but, mini-myth, that's right, Friday, I'm gonna cover a certain fellow who was one of the Argonauts, certain fellow who got himself into a bit of trouble in the underworld. I'll leave it there. Thanks again for listening. It's uh, it's a ball. I really appreciate uh, ratings and reviews on iTunes or Facebook, anywhere. Come like the Facebook page and follow me on Instagram and on Twitter and come hang out. You're all magical, lovely people. I'm Liv. I love this shit. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey guys, LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther 
than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. And when you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.